Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 65 of Hack to Start. This episode features Cindy Wu, the co-founder of Experiment. Tyler and I wanted to invite Cindy onto the show to share her story and insights as an entrepreneur and scientist. Cindy has a Bachelor's of Science in Cellular, Molecular, and Developmental Biology, and she's written several peer review articles. But when she started to look for funding to take new drugs to market, she quickly realized there was a major problem. Experiment launched and was later accepted into Y Combinator. Today, more than 350 projects have raised more than $4 million. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Cindy, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So let's start things off by getting to know a bit more about you. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Um, I am from Seattle, Washington, and I studied cell and molecular biology at University of Washington. My passion for entrepreneurship started accidentally. (laughs) I had no intention of starting this company. So you were published in a few peer-reviewed journals and are currently the co-founder of Experiment. For those who may not know, what is Experiment and what was the transition like going from science to tech? Um, Yeah, I published two articles in peer-reviewed journals. Again, I had never really thought I would start a company, so the transition was really quick. It was basically like I was in the lab one day and the next day I was talking to users every day. I guess I didn't really plan for it. Um, I don't know if you can ever plan for being an entrepreneur. Um, you kind of just have to go and start. And initially, when we started the website, we just wanted to build something that we as scientists would use. And how this came about is me and Denny and a b- bunch of undergraduate students at the University of Washington, we designed an anthrax therapeutic um, in a biochemistry lab for a worldwide competition called iGEM, which is a synthetic biology competition. And we published that research and I found that we could use the drug that we had designed for a different purpose. We could use it as an antibiotic. And when I asked my professor where we could find $5,000 to take this project forward, he basically told us, uh, look, you guys are 22 years old. You don't have PhDs. The system doesn't fund people like you. And so that's when we decided that there should be another way for scientists like us and older scientists even to be able to fund these high-risk ideas. That's cool. That's awesome. So why did you guys decide to launch Experiment as a site, not use a different platform like Kickstarter or Indiegogo? Um, For most other platforms, it's reward-based. So if you give directly to a project on Kickstarter, you get some sort of tangible reward. It could be um, you get like the DVD when the movie comes out, or you get the product when the product is built. But for science, the output of science is knowledge. And oftentimes it is a peer-reviewed journal article. And so when people give on experiment, what they get in return is they get the results of what happened 
during the experiment, after the experiment, and um, what new knowledge we learned from that research project. And no other platform at the time was tailored for uh, scientific research projects, which is why we designed Experiment. That's awesome. And so what were some of the distribution and growth channels you guys have used to kind of grow both, you know, the projects side of, of, you know, the actual experiments on Experiment and the funding side of the platform? So the people who are backing it, how have you guys gotten the word out uh, about the site? For the first nine projects, um, we recruited each scientist individually. So we went, basically when we first started, we went and spoke with any scientist, any professor that would talk to us, and we told them, we're building this new platform. Um, do you have any ideas that you would want to crowdfund? And everyone would have an idea, and they would always present an idea that they would never write in a grant, but it would always be an idea that they're extremely passionate about. And so we took those nine, we took nine of those projects and put them on up on the platform. And after we funded the first six out of those nine, we still continued to recruit scientists um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We still do that today, but the majority of our projects now are organic. For a while we were doing, in order to get a higher volume of scientists, we would look for a journal that we think the science, like if it was a journal where the scientists would be more likely to do crowdfunding, we would look at all the recently published papers and then we would email them um, that way. And so that's another way we tried to grow the platform much quicker. I don't know if those methods are more effective than actually recruiting scientists one-on-one -on -one, though. Oh, no, that's a pretty interesting approach. So what was the sort of the, the reaction like? I mean, it sounds like from your own experience that there was a need for this, but you know, how, how well was it embraced by other uh, scientists and the backers too? Um, by the scientists, I think scientists always, they always need more money. And so if you can show that the platform works, they think it's a value to them. For the backers, I think the unique thing about Experiment is this is the first time, often the first time that they've ever been able to contribute to an actual research project and see what happens throughout the entire research process and then at the end when they get to see the result. Um, the only other way you can fund science today is to give directly to, say, like a lab at a university, but you never know where your money actually goes. Cool. So what's your day-to-day your -day role like there now? Um, it hasn't changed much, actually. I still work with scientists one-on-one. -on -one. I spend most of my time with the customers, with all the scientists. I travel a lot, so I go to universities. You can either find me in the office in San Francisco, or you can find me on a university campus uh, meeting with scientists and helping them craft their projects, put up their videos, um, and stuff like that. That's awesome. So what are some of the biggest uh, sort of lessons uh, that you've learned over the last four years building experiment? The most important thing is to stay close to your users. I think after we had funded maybe like 50 or 100 projects, we thought we could scale things. Um, but then, and then we would try to like build things. But in order to build the things that are most useful to your users, you really have to stay in tune with like how they're using the product, what they think is most useful, what they, what could be most useful to them moving forward. And so I think the most important thing I learned is to stay close to your users. And even if hopefully soon one day we'll be at like millions of users, I still plan to spend the majority of my time talking to scientists. That's awesome. How big is the team so far? The team is now seven. Cool. You guys all based in San Francisco? Uh, we have five of us in San Francisco, one in New York and one in Montreal. Nice. Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> So back in 2013, you were actually accepted into YC. So what was that process like for you? 
So we applied to YC twice. The first time we applied to YC, they didn't interview us. Um, they rejected us. And the second time we applied to YC, um, they said, we want to interview you guys, so why don't you come down to Mountain View? And at the time we were in Seattle, we were pretty fed up with Seattle because none of the investors and VCs in Seattle wanted to fund a company like us. They they just thought that we were a nonprofit or like we didn't have any exit strategy. We still don't really have an exit strategy. Exit strategy is to fund a cure for cancer or go to Mars or just build a company that helps the entire science stack. Um, and we applied to YC. We didn't think we would get in because the first time we didn't get in. Um, so we put in an application and they said they wanted to interview us and you come down to Mountain View and put everything in my car and we moved here. Actually, we, we said, even if they don't accept us, we're, we're still going to stay here because we don't want to stay in Seattle. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. um, <laughs> we started living in my friend's closet in East Palo Alto. And the interview with Y Combinator is only 10 minutes. So you go in and there were five partners there. Um, PG and Jessica were both in our interview room. And uh, they just ask you, they rapid fire and ask you, question after question after question. And then before you know it, 10 minutes is up. One thing that we did that was, uh, I guess it's kind of unique, is that when we used to meet with investors, we would bring the National Geographic from their birth month and year to show them what science looked like when they were born. And so at the end of our interview, we gave all the partners their National Geographics, which they thought was pretty cool. And then they tell you shortly after if they accept you. So if they accept you, they'll call you around five or six and tell you that you've been accepted and that you should show up. I think we might have been on the last interview day because I think they said to show up tomorrow um, <laughs> for the first uh, orientation. And then during YC, what we did is we focused on growing the number of projects that we launched on the platform I think in the last six weeks of YC, we doubled the number of projects every single week. Um, the other parts of YC is there's a Tuesday dinner every Tuesday where all the companies come together and they'll show, the founders basically show each other what progress they've made that week. Um, so that part was really cool as well. After those three months, um, six weeks leading up to demo day, we doubled the number of projects. So we went from two to four to eight to 16 to 24 projects. And then on the day before demo day, we were on the front page of Reddit, which was really awesome. Um, and that really helped. When you look at that Reddit thread, it helped us share that with investors to show them that the internet really wanted what we were building. Um, we raised a seed round after YC for 1.2 million in a course of 10 days. Um, and then that was the end of YC. Wow. That sounds like a really good, uh, cohort year. That's awesome. Yeah. We still stay in touch with the partners quite often. Like I still meet with the partners at YC probably once a month. That's awesome. So, so as you mentioned, you were able to solidify some venture capital from firms like Andreessen Horowitz and Index Ventures. What was that process like for you? And are there any tips you'd share with other entrepreneurs, especially those who might be working on something outside of the typical markets? Or just how'd you guys do it in 10 days? Because that's pretty short. <laughs> yeah, 10 days. Yeah. One thing that during YC that the partners told us is like, don't talk to investors throughout the entire time you're in YC. And at the beginning of YC, I didn't understand why. But now I understand why. Because when you're talking to investors, you can't be focused on building product or talking to users because you're focused on fundraising. So... Um, before you even start talking to investors, I would make sure that you spend all of your time making sure that you're building something that people want and you have the numbers to prove that. Um, your numbers don't have to be big, but you have to show that you're growing. Um, during YC, or right after YC when we fundraised, 
I, me and my co-founder, we made a list of all of the investors that um, we were interested in speaking with. And we made a spreadsheet and we just split it in half and we decided that we were going to get meetings with all of them. If we couldn't get a direct intro to them, then we would find someone else that could get us a direct intro to that investor. I remember that those 10 days I had meetings scheduled back to back um, every single day and phone calls in the mornings and in the evenings. Um, I think it helped put pressure on our team um, to make sure that we close around quickly by having so many meetings. Um, the other thing is I think a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid to ask for the money. So during every single meeting, I would always ask the investor, if I like them, I would say, I would love to have you on my team. Um, if you did invest, how much would you invest? If you ask that question, they'll tell you their check size. They'll say 5000 or 25000 or 200000 And then you can ask them and say, if you were to invest $200,000, how much time do you need to make the decision? I can leave 200 k open for you for two days. If you need more time, just let me know. If you give the investor a deadline of two days, they can always say that they need more time, but then you know in two days that they it's much more likely that they'll give you a yes or no answer. And when you're going in to talk to an investor, what you want is a yes or no. It's fine if they give you a no because then you can move on to the next investor, but if they don't give you any answer, then it doesn't help either party. Those are some amazing insights. So what can we expect next from Experiment? Um, we are on a mission to create a world where anyone can be a scientist. So currently, um, most of the scientists on Experiment are professors or graduate students from academia, but we believe that anyone in the world can be a scientist. So you'll start to see more projects run by high school students um, or just everyday people that are interested in um, putting together research experiments. Like one that I did on the platform is um, I baked chocolate chip cookies at different temperatures using different types of butter. Um, and that's definitely a valid experiment because then you can test for like how crispy they are, or how chewy they are. And I think all of those types of questions can be answered by science. And generally people don't think of that as actual science, but it is. Mm -hmm. So is there anything you guys are focusing on the product side that we'll see being unrolled uh, maybe in the next couple of months or year? Um, in the first year, it was really hard to say how many projects had results. But now that we've funded over, I think we funded over 400 projects. You can find all of our um, stats at experiment.com slash stats. We show like how many projects we funded, how many have failed. Um, you're going to start to see a lot of these results come out. We used to classify success on experiment as you get you got the funding, but I think what's mo more important to look at is how many projects took the funding and did the experiment and what results came out of that is what makes a research project successful. Cool. And so you mentioned that you spend a lot of your time helping scientists kind of create the campaigns. What what typically goes inside of a, of a campaign? Um, I think the hardest part is the video. Um, in the campaign, you say um, why the research is important, what you plan to do, how much money you need, and you outline the budget, and then you say who you are and why you are the best person to do this project. But the hardest part is making the video, because most scientists have never made a video in the past, and so I spend most of my time helping them craft that storyboard and um, figure out how to get their iPhone or their webcam or like some borrow a friend's camera to make that video. 
<laughs> That's awesome. So do you have a, an awesome, you know, do you have an awesome or funny story that you can share with us about, you know, either, you know, just just, I guess, before being an entrepreneur kind of in the in the science uh, industry, science field or or over the past couple of years as you've been kind of growing experiment? Our first investor was Dave McClure from 500 Startups. And um, we met him because Denny and I had done some hackathon in Seattle because there's free food and like there was a final there were finals for this hackathon so they sent us to Palo Alto and as we were driving through Mountain View Denny saw Dave like walking across uh across the street and he said that's Dave McClure and I said who's Dave McClure and he said oh Dave is um he runs 500 startups and it's like Y Combinator it's a startup accelerator um and he funds startups and so I just jumped out of the car and ran over to Dave in the middle of the street and started pitching him on experiment um and I think that was demo day for 500 startups and he was like hey Cindy I'm really busy but um if you really want to chat here's my card just call me tomorrow or text me. And so I texted him the next day um, and he was like at some conference so he was still busy and then eventually he stopped texting me back. And when he stopped texting me back I think me and Denny we had a flight that evening but we had a few hours left and so we just decided to go to the 500 startups office in Mountain View and see if we could find Dave there. And so we walked into the there's a building in Mountain View um, where 500 Startups is at the very top floor, and we rode the elevator up to the top. Um, we knocked on the door, and someone came to the door, and they're like, who are you looking for? And we said, we're looking for Dave. And she said, do you have a meeting? And we just said, yeah, we have a meeting. And so she started showing us around the office, and then she re quickly realized that we didn't have a meeting with Dave. And she was like, you guys can't just show up like this. You have to have an appointment. And so we went downstairs, and... Um, then we saw Dave talking to another uh, partner at 500 Startups. And then once he was done talking to that partner, he came over and he's like, oh, it's, hey, it's you guys. And so he's like, fine, you can, you want to come upstairs and chat for a bit. So we pitched him in the elevator. So it was literally an elevator pitch um, up to the top of the 500 Startups office. And I guess he was intrigued enough to invite us into the office. Um, and that's how we met Dave. And eventually he ended up investing in experiment and being the first investor. No way. That's an awesome story. That's, <laughs> that's unreal. Um, so what are some of the most recent apps you, you've downloaded or used? Any favorites? Anything you use on a, on a daily basis? On my laptop, I use Slack. Um, I use Slack. I also use Front App. Uh, Front App is a way to share your email inboxes amongst the team. Um, and... I don't know if you guys noticed, but I use something called Clara. Clara set up this Skype call between us, but Clara is not actually someone on our team. Oh, I thought she was a person. <laughs> yeah, so she's not a person. Clara Labs, they actually just launched last week. Um, Clara is a service that um, acts like a human being. Um, that's part of the team, and she just sets up all of my meetings for me. So if I email like 50 scientists, I can have Clara set up all of my meetings. It could be in person, it could be on phone call, it could be Skype. Um, and I just, I emailed Claire the same way I would email another human. Um, but it's, I think it's a combination of humans and um, AI. It must be, it was really good. And like, it wasn't even, well, not that we had a, a very long email conversation, but I was like, hey, can Cindy Skype me? Here's my Skype. And everything was done, like send me the calendar invite and it was all done. So that's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. Wow. And usually people can't tell. I go to meetings and people say, like, is Clara coming? And I have to say, like, no, Clara's still in San Francisco. Like, she can't make it. Because um, <laughs> I don't have time to explain, like, who Clara is. You can actually change her name, too. So, that's yeah, nice. I use 
I don't use much else. I use Spotify. And then on my phone, I use Swarm a lot. Um, so the app that got uh, was part of Foursquare is no longer part of Foursquare, uh, just to keep track of where I am at all times. And um, yeah, I don't use very many other apps. That's all good. Keeping it simple is the best. I, I find myself often just deleting a majority of apps that I have and just keep to the you know the bare minimums. Yeah. So are there any recommendations of great content that you've come across lately, like a book, video, or any blog posts? blog that I really like that I, I think I read every single post is Brain Pickings, uh, where she usually uh, will highlight a book. At, I think it's every day. Um, and I think I buy like every single book that she highlights. I think I stopped because I bought too many books and I didn't actually read any of them. Um, so I really like Brain Pickings. Nothing else really comes to mind. Yeah, I guess I, I work too much. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and think others should know about? I think that if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to work on whatever your dream is, you should do it. Um, I can wake up every single morning and say this is, even if I only had one day left to live, this is what I would be doing. And not very many people can say that. I think a lot of people have the opportunity to do that, especially like people that have very similar backgrounds as mine, where you grew up in a pretty um, like a middle class family and you went to college. And a lot of those a lot of those millennials are going off and working at a job that they don't actually like. And they actually do have the opportunity to choose a different path, but they're too afraid to do it. Um, I think that if you have that opportunity, you should always try. You should always try to make your dreams a reality because very, very few people have that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's awesome advice and, and a good way to live, I think. So thanks so much, Cindy, for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, we really appreciated having you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.